So this morning we're going to be starting a new series. We're going to be taking a break from red. <laughs> and we will be looking at for the, the next few weeks at the book of uh, Philemon, or Philemon as some of us call it. And we look at how this story models for us the obligations of the gospel. And as we, as we work through Philemon, Philemon is the, sh- is the third shortest book in the Bible. As we unpack this, we will want to see what we can learn for ourselves here at CBC, in our lives here in Pilot, and how and what we can do to strengthen our agency as ambassadors of the kingdom. And so this morning, by, by means of introduction, we will simply be looking at the context of Philemon, the background. And um, so that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. And next week, God willing, we'll be looking at Paul and his perspective. And then we'd look at Onesimus and what he brings. And then we'd look at Philemon in the last one. So as I introduce this, I want to, I want to share with you a story. Um, when I was a boy, um, I got up to all kinds of mischief. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I got up to all kinds of mischief with the boys in the neighborhood, and I would disappear immediately when I got home from, from school, and I'd only reappear back home late in the afternoon, early evening. And my grandmother was looking after us at that stage, and my grandmother would get a hold of me, and I'd get a, a good talking to, which was usually followed by a good uh, you-know-what, which is now uh, no longer legal. Um, but then she'd call me something, and she called me a name. While she was dispensing justice, she... <laughs> She called me a droster, and, and I never knew what a droster was, and it was only a number of years later that I found out, just by researching, what a droster is, and I found out what a droster is by reading a story, and I would like to read that story to you, and the definition of what a droster, the, the explanation I found in this story. Now, as we know, the Western Cape has a very deep slave history. And um, it is important, I think, that we recognize that earlier on in this year with our Mercy and Justice Ministry, we actually did a pilgrimage and we moved around in town and we, we explored slavery and how the church was implicated in certain parts of that. And we, we tried to hear what God was saying to us about that particular thing. One of the things we learned was that in the Capes, slavery was practiced for 178 years. And while we were on our pilgrimage, Uncle Cliffy shared with us that he himself has slave heritage. My wife Cindy also has slave heritage in that the family from her father's side were brought here from Malaysia. Now, the story I want to read to you is a story that we are able to retell and read today 
because it was part of the records of a criminal trial that was held in the year 1735. And it was recorded, and we can actually find it in the Cape Archives in Rowland Street in town. So this is the story. In the first few decades of the 18th century, a slave renamed Renier lived in the district of Drakenstein in the southwestern Cape. Rainier, who was brought from Madagascar, was the property of the free burger Matthijs Krugel. On Krugel's farm, Simons Vallee, Rainier had built a long-standing relationship with Manika, a female slave who had been imported from India. They had a number of children together, including a young girl named Sabina by her slave owners. It is clear that Manika and Rainier's situation was unusual in the context of the Cape, as few slaves were able to build and sustain such long-standing relationships. Since the colonists preferred to import male rather than female slaves, the slave population suffered from great sexual imbalance. Until the end of the 18th century, Male slaves outnumbered female slaves by as much as four to one. The children born to Manika were born into slavery, as slave women passed their status onto their children. Manika's children would have been among only a small proportion of slaves who were born at the Cape in the course of the 18th century, as the slave population primarily grew as a result of continued importation. We can only speculate as to the nature of the relationship that existed between Rainier and Manika and the kind of life they would have been able to lead. Since they came from such different places of origin, they would probably have communicated with each other in a kind of pidgin language. The owners would have spoken to them in Dutch, and it would be out of this mixture of languages that the Afrikaans language evolved, with the slaves contributing their share to the development of this dialect. It is clear that Rainier and Manika's owners, Krugel and his wife, whom they would have called Manier or Bas and Mefro, dominated their lives. Their roles as parents were also greatly inhibited by their status as slaves. Imagine not being able to even name your own child. For some reason, Krugel's wife had taken to, put, to regularly beating Rainier and Manika's daughter, Sabina. Possibly this was a result of jealousy, or perhaps the little girl, Sabina, did not perform her duties to the satisfaction of Mefro Krugel. As parents, Rainier and Manika had little control over the maltreatment that Sabina suffered and which they were forced to witness. It is a sad testimony to his lack of power that Rainier, in an attempt to put an end to the abuse of his daughter, was prepared to ask Krugel to sell Sabina and possibly be separated from her for life. On one occasion on a Saturday in the year around 1737, Mefrou Krugel had gone too far in her maltreatment of Sabina. On this occasion, Krugel's wife tied Sabina to a post 
and beat her mercilessly with a shambok. Afterwards, to accentuate the pain, she rubbed salt into the wounds, a tactic commonly employed by Cape slave owners. The event obviously scarred the little girl, Monica, deeply. The little girl's mother, Monica, deeply, as she was able to retell the story clearly when she appeared before the law courts 22 years later. When Renier returned to the homestead after having worked in the fields, he did not hesitate to vent his anger at the maltreatment of his daughter. Gradually over time, Krugel and his wife had lost control over the slaves on their farm, Simon's Palais. In an attempt to restore his authority, Krugel beat all the slaves on the farm. This was to no avail, for as Manika testified, Renier turned on his master and assaulted him. As a consequence, Renier had to flee the farm. And under those circumstances, there could be no chance for a safe return. The mountains and the valleys of the southwestern Cape provided many hiding places for slaves who had deserted their owners. For more than two decades, Rainier lived in the mountains around the Berg River as a drosker, as runaway slaves were called. Runaway slaves were called drosters. Rainier was one of many drosters. It made sense for drosters to join bands and find strength in numbers. Thus, there existed throughout the 18th century and until the ending of slavery, a community of runaway slaves living in the caves of the Hottentots Holland Mountains, overlooking False Bay. This was the maroon community of Hankluk in the area we call today Tingle Bay. When I read the story, I wish that it had a happy ending. But unfortunately for most slaves, their life stories do not end well. And I think to myself as I consider this, I wonder if Rainier and his family could have had a different outcome if they had someone to fight for them on their behalf. What if someone was willing to be Rainier's advocate? What if someone more privileged than Rainier would be willing to charge it to his account? The book of Philemon is a story where we see this happening. The book of Philemon is essentially a letter about two people with a third person involved written by the Apostle Paul to a friend of his who owned slaves named Philemon. And the letter concerns a slave named Onesimus who was owned by Philemon, yet he was in our terms a droster, a runaway slave. And the Apostle Paul takes on the role of an advocate to Onesimus. And he uses the privilege and the advantage that he has to bring reconciliation between this runaway slave Onesimus and his master Philemon. 
Now, we would think that a personal letter like this wouldn't contain much theology, but I think we need to rethink that thought, because in fact, it does. And as we will see over the next few weeks, in what we read of and encounter, there is a very practical example that we will encounter through this book called Philemon. It is a story of redemption. A story with all the intrigue that we would expect from an appeal to a wrong having been done according to the laws and the traditions of that time. Now what's extraordinary about this story about Philemon is that it is one person writing a letter to another person in the context of fellow believers. And in this dialogue between these parties, there is the preaching of the ethic, the obligations of the gospel. Now, the book Philemon is short enough for us to read it in, in its entirety in one sitting, and so that's what we'll do. Let's follow. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. 
not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Not often do we get to read through an entire book in a service, so that's quite cool. Earlier on, I read you a story about a slave who was brought to Cape Town um, by slave owners, and he escaped. Now, the kind of slavery that we encounter in the book of Philemon should not be confused with the kind of slavery that occurred in the 18th and the 19th century. Now, one of the first things that we need to overcome as we look at the book of Philemon is to understand this difference between that slavery that we know of in the 18th and 19th century that happened here in South Africa, as well as the transatlantic slave trade of North America. So it's important that we understand that there's a difference between the kind of slavery that we, that we know. I think when we think slavery, we immediately um, think about movies like 12 Years a Slave or, or, or that kind of context, but slavery in the ancient world was, was much different to that. The Roman world of Paul's day was a complex society of classes. And the Roman Empire's success depended on maintaining proper relations between these social classes. Now, the large majority of people belonged to the working class in the Roman Emperor, and many and most of them, in fact, were slaves. It is believed that approximately two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And the fact, then, that two-thirds of the population were slaves helps us to understand why slave owners would have needed to be, or, or needed to very clearly hold the upper hand with possible acts of cruelty. Now, in the ancient world, slaves were viewed as property, However, people could actually sell themselves into slavery. And so some slaves would have been physicians, some slaves would have been craftsmen, some slaves may even have been government officials. And so for some, slave life was voluntary. Now in the context of the Roman Empire, as we established, you could sell yourself into slavery to advance your family through to the eventual gaining of Roman citizenship, which had some benefits in the long run. And this is because slaves in the ancient world could buy their way back out of slavery with a new status. If I think about how we could understand this in our modern context, I I think a close example to that would be if you wanted to immigrate to another country 
and you want citizenship in that country, there would be certain requirements that you would need to fulfill before you got citizenship. I think that helps us to understand this method of slavery in terms of you wanting to be a Roman citizen and so you needing to jump through these hoops, as it were, so that you could be someone who could receive some of those Roman citizenship benefits. And so if a person wanted the Roman citizenship, they could become a slave to a Roman, and when they bought their way out or were released from their the obligation, which was called manumission, then some, and then of course, there's also just the fact that there were some people in the working class who owed money, and so they needed to sell themselves into slavery so that they could repay that debt. So slavery back then wasn't a racial matter in the way that we understand it in the 18th and 19th century. Now there's a lot more that can be said about that, and there are many more arguments that we could incorporate, but I think for us just to get a context and an understanding of the background, I think that for now is sufficient. Now this letter, Philemon, was written while Paul was in prison. He was in jail. And he was in Rome at the time. Now again, it's not the kind of prison uh, that we have in our minds. Um, here it is rather an, an example of Paul being under house arrest. And the term that was used to describe Paul's imprisonment in the time was he was under light chain imprisonment. So he's not sitting there chained, but he's actually in an apartment. And he's in an apartment that he himself is paying for. And in this apartment with him, he would have had a, a guard. And him, Paul, and this guard would have been in this apartment waiting to have an audience with the authorities. Paul, at this point, was accused by the temple leadership in Jerusalem, which is what led to his arrest. So that's the reason that he was there in prison. And while he's here in this apartment with this guard with him waiting to see the authorities, Paul takes time to write letters. And he writes letters to the churches that he had planted. And so he writes Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. And then he also takes time out to write this note, this postcard letter to his dear friend Philemon. Now it's important to note that this letter doesn't deal with the practice of slavery as much as it deals with the issue of a runaway slave and the relationship between believers. And so we see that Paul doesn't challenge the societal laws of slavery with protest action in the way that some of us might feel he should have done. But Paul rather works to redefine the relationships between people from the inside out. Philemon is a wealthy slave owner, and he's a slave owner who hosts a church in his house, a gathering at his home in Colossae. And the church that met in Philemon's house would 
probably have had about 15 people in it. As the houses back then wouldn't have been able to house many more than 15 people. So it would have been a small gathering of believers. And so in total, scholars understand that the church in Colossea in total, the letter, the beautiful letter that we read about that identifies the characteristics of Christ would have been written to a gathering of believers in the number of about 30 to 40 people. Now the relationship between Paul and Philemon could have started with Philemon taking the 160 kilometer journey from Colossea to Ephesus to sell his farm goods. As Colossea and the, and the area that he was from was a farming area. And Paul was in Ephesus at that time and Paul was busy on a three-year ministry stint during the time which Paul came to, which Philemon came to trade. And Philemon would in all probability have heard Paul preach the gospel and at such a meeting, Philemon would have given his heart to the Lord. And then the next step as we we deduced would have been that a house church started at Philemon's house. And while all of this was happening, Philemon had a slave in his household named Onesimus. The name Onesimus means profitable, which is something that he clearly wasn't. He was lazy, and Paul admits in the letter that he was once useless rather than profitable. And then, as we see the story unfolding, Onesimus, for whatever reason, runs away from his master Philemon and he probably stole some of his possessions along with himself and he makes his way to Rome. And in those days, runaway slaves would have wanted to be lost in the crowd rather than going to an isolated place where it would have been easier to identify a particular person. And so Onesimus, by an amazing set of circumstances, he meets Paul there in Rome and himself becomes a believer under Paul's ministry. Paul then disciples this runaway slave slave Onesimus and he mentors him and then Onesimus becomes useful as opposed to being useless. And then the the moment of us encountering this letter arrives. And then Paul involves himself in the ministry of reconciliation. And his purpose in this letter is to redefine Philemon's relationship to Onesimus. And Paul desires to bring these two back together in a new union that would have both spiritual as well as social consequences. And so Paul's concern is for both Philemon's spiritual nurture as well as Onesimus' safety and his new status as a believer. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack some of those things related to the spiritual and the social consequences of what it means to be reconciled and what that means to us here at PBC 
2019. Relationships are complex things, aren't they? We see broken relationships everywhere. Between siblings, between husbands and wives, among work colleagues, and we even see and encounter broken relationships in the church. And here in this letter, we see Paul making an appeal. But at the same time, I think Paul is also making a statement. Because the letter that he's writing is not simply written between two people. It is an open letter, as we see in the introduction of that text. And so Paul is saying here that mature believers ought to want to have reconciled, peaceful relationships in harmony. And so Paul is saying in, I believe, the statement that he's making, that the testimony of our lives as believers and followers of Christ ought to extend beyond our personal feelings. As believers, we need to see in a very tangible way what God has done in our lives manifested in how we treat each other, not only here in the church, but how we treat each other and others outside. Now, I want to close with this scripture. Maybe, Andrew, you can come up. It's a very well-known scripture that you know. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 19. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation.